And I'd like to thank Donna for bringing us together. It's a privilege to be here. I'm Timothy Endicott. I'm the Dean of the Faculty of Law at Oxford. And I want to say something about uh, cultural heritage law and about cultural heritage legal studies in, in Oxford in particular. And I, I'm an enthusiast for cultural heritage law. Uh, and, and you'll see why before I finish. I won't talk for too long. But I want to start out by saying something that may sound skeptical and deflationary ab about it. Um, if you're interested in cultural heritage, you shouldn't expect too much from the law. Um, and and uh, let me explain what I mean, mean by that. My, my main um, professional involvement with cultural heritage law concerns heritage building planning controls in this country. That's both in my role as dean because of improvements we've made to the law faculty building and also writing on administrative law, which is my area of specialty. The, uh, there, of the th over 300,000 protected heritage buildings in this country, um, only one in 500 were built after 1945. And one of them is the St. Cross Building, the law faculty building in Oxford. And um, I spent a lot of time with the people from the 20th century society explaining why the quite dramatic improvements that we wanted to make um, were actually making something of our heritage, not trashing it. We were successful in that, and it, it meant, um, it meant a lot of talking and explaining to people what we were trying to do with a rather austere uh, mid-20th century example of Scandinavian modernism brought to Oxford by some egghead architects in, in the late 1950s. Um, not, not straightforward. The process, for those of you who don't know the law of planning of, of listed building consent in this, in this country, is that local councils are charged with an obligation not to let us um, uh, burn down the way some of my colleagues wanted to, a two-star listed building um, without uh, explaining what we're up to. And there are mandatory consultation obligations on the council before they make a decision. And then somebody who's not happy with the decision they make can appeal to the Secretary of State, uh, the central government minister, um, to complain about it. In my work as a writer on administrative law, I found one of the most interesting problems in writing a book on administrative law is the following. When people lose in that process, they, of course, want to go to the courts to get a solution. When the local council decides the wrong way or the Secretary of State decides the wrong way. And their immediate impulse is to go to the court and say, those people, the Secretary of State or the members of the council, were biased. They brought to their decision-making a political agenda. They're politicians, they're local councillors. Their interests that they brought to the process that are at odds with justice and, and the law. And I'm proud to say that English, in English law, the judges are pretty skeptical about that and are not readily prepared to say that because the Secretary of State is a politician, um, he or she cannot fairly decide these matters, or because the members of the local council are politicians, they can't fairly decide these planning policy matters, including listed building consent, but other matters of planning as well. And I think that's worth remembering. We can't expect too much from the law. And in the crucial cultural heritage question of how to protect amazing buildings, we can't expect the law to do it all for us. We need good local councillors. And we need actually a good public culture in which those local councillors are um, attuned 
to their responsibility on the half, behalf of the community. Um, and I think the system works about as well as it can. If my college, Balliol, tried to do what we did in the mid-1800s and demolish, demolish a beautiful um, part of this country's heritage, a, a medieval front on the college that two, two stories and gables and a Norman um, archway over the Porter's Lodge. Um, we couldn't do it today. We're stuck with our uh, pompous, overdone Victorian um, front, and well, we should be. So don't expect, <laughs> don't, don't expect too much from the law. That's my recommendation. Um, you need good policy. Um, on the part of those who are in control of these collections um, uh, uh, that, that, that we heard about from, from Peter. That, so that, that's one reason for skepticism about cultural, cultural heritage law. The other reason is that some of it's pretty simple. You know, the, uh, one of the most important uh, elements of cultural heritage law, and, and this, you might have gathered this from what Emily said and what Donna said, is the law that makes it a crime to steal somebody else's stuff so that if you go into the museum and take away a painting um, that's part of the, this planet's heritage, um, the law's against you. And, that, and that's not too complicated. Um, but um, there are some really interesting questions, and it is really interesting for the reasons Emily outlined to get the law right. And, and that's, here's where, where I'll, you'll start to see that I'm an enthusiast for this stuff. I remember my first week in law school in Toronto, good law school, and our professor of property law in the first week said, suppose somebody buys the, the Mona Lisa that Peter showed us from the Louvre and, uh, and uh, uh, wants to burn it um, to express themselves, right? To, they'll be the person who, they'll be a big deal. They'll be the person who burned the Mona Lisa should the law allow them to. And uh, now, he, he, he wasn't a cultural heritage lawyer. He certainly wouldn't have described himself that way. But he wanted us to get us thinking about the nature of property, to equip us to deal with the problems that lawyers have to deal with across, across various aspects of property law. And in doing that, this kind of problem was just uniquely useful for him. So lawyers, all lawyers, uh, need to be trained in a way that relates to what you people are dealing with in the protection um, of, of cultural heritage. And, and, and so cultural, cultural heritage law, in a way, is built into legal studies in, in various respects um, today. But some of it is quite specialized, and some of it's arcane. And a lot of us lawyers don't understand some of the stuff that Peter works with every day. Um, so there's a challenge uh, for a law faculty, including the one in Oxford, to contribute to the problems that you people are dealing with. And to, granted, accept my point that it's not just law that you need, and law can't solve all the problems, to deal with the dangers that Donna outlined at the beginning, um, to, to, to respond to those, a law faculty faces some challenge, challenges in contributing to what you're doing. We ought to be good at it um, in Oxford, and, and I'll, I'll say a couple of things about that. Um, the law in Oxford, it's not 800 years old, really. Well, it is in a sense, but we didn't have a degree in English law until the 1870s. And although there were some famous professors, to be honest, it wasn't a great place to teach or to study law, really, until the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, maybe the 60s, when we, started to, when we started to appoint women to teach law, or you might say in the 70s, when we started to admit women um, in numbers to the men's colleges, at which point the standard um, in, of, of the students rose, 
Um, and for other reasons, historical reasons, um, things took off really in the 60s and 70s. So this, is a, this law school is about as old as the St. Cross building, which was built in, opened in 1964. So it's a, it's a pretty young law school, the biggest in this country and one of the biggest in the world. And it's big because of the college system. Um, we're a bit more closely wedded to the idea of teaching students two at a time and to the, accomplishing that through the college system than other, many other departments of the university where we seem very traditional to, to um, the, the head of the social sciences division. Um, he, doesn't, he finds it hard to understand us, but he's, he's learned a lot. Um, it, it's in, in some ways, it's very old-fashioned. And the old-fashioned aspect of it actually has a really strong 21st century business rationale because the process of teaching students in tutorials in colleges all over the, the city is, is particularly good training for lawyers. Um, it equips them to uh, try to get on top of too much material uh, with a short deadline and answer hard questions from somebody who knows what the subject is. Well, we reckon that's good for lawyers. I'm sure it's good for chemists too, but particularly good for lawyers. And the law degree, this is different from even history, let alone chemistry. The law degree involves a, a, a very substantial core of stuff. And, and you saw some of it on Emily's slides. The law of property, the law of contract, the law of tort, and so on. And the Oxford College system has given us this tremendous strength in English private law and English public law. And to that over the years, for accidental reasons, we've added strength in international law and we're the best place in the world for legal philosophy. And that's all wonderful, but it doesn't do everything you want to do in a law school. And so particularly over the past 10 or 20 years, we've started to develop um, strength in areas that aren't naturally supported by those core courses for which the colleges need training for their undergraduates so that they hire really good people to give tutorials. We've complemented that uh, structure, which is very useful for a law school. Uh, with, every, with the other things in labor law and family law, in medical law, in company law, and other areas that need support at the university level because they don't naturally grow up through that system in the, at the college level. Um, and in that process, very recently, we've started to develop one of the things that you need if a law faculty is going to contribute to cultural heritage law, which is interdisciplinarity. Um, today, we have joint posts with the business school and a really terrific program on law and finance. We are currently in the process of appointment to a joint university lectureship in refugee law with the Department of International Development. We're, um, we're planning uh, the appointment of a criminologist jointly with the African Studies Department. And um, we've got a, 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 an arrangement with the School of Government in, in the new Masters in Public Policy, where several of us are teaching um, law to the uh, public policy students. And that involves personnel as well. And these are all new. There, none of this happened even five years ago. Um, the, the collaboration at the person, academic personnel level between the law faculty and other parts of the university, except philosophy, which is a kind of special thing about Oxford. Um, that capacity to, to work with people who don't call themselves lawyers is essential if we're going to contribute to the kind of problems that Donna was outlining at the beginning and to the sort of issues that Peter was, was um, outlining. Um, the other thing we need um, is, is Emily Hudson. 
um, she, there's an example for you of, uh, uh, you know, interdisciplinarity is, is, is no good if you don't bring something to the discussion, and that something has to involve, I think, to, in the 21st century in legal studies, focused attention uh, up to the legal aspects of the problems. That's why I'm glad we're doing medical law today as a, as a subject, and we have people who think of themselves as medical lawyers in Oxford, and 10 years ago, we didn't. We all dealt with it if we were dealing with negligence. You had to do, know about medical negligence. But the focus of the specialist in legal studies on the area and the you know, diversely related problems that arise in an area of the community's life, uh, we need that if we're going to be able to talk to the economists, the politi politi political scientists, and, and so on. Um, and that's true in, in cultural heritage law as well. It's a, it, and, and, and we have the potential to be good at it because of intellectual property law, which isn't, of course, all of cultural heritage law, but deals with some of the really interesting legal problems. Um, and, and so specialism plus interdisciplinarity is what we're going to need if we're going to be any use to the people who want to um, get cultural heritage right in, in real life in the 21st century and to meet the dangers that Donna pointed out. And it's promising from the law faculty's point of view, not because the problems are important, actually, but because the problems are difficult and, and, and worth working on and intellectually challenging. And just to point that out, um, notice the, what, what Emily and what Peter said about, about copyright and originality. Should there be copyright in a reproduction? Well, it's ours. We, you know, we've got the thing in our museum collection, and, and we chose to make the reproduction and put a lot of work into it, and we're making it available. We want some control over it. Should that be a copyright? And what about um, traditional stories or folk art? Folk art doesn't sound original, and Emily mentioned this challenge. These problems are go, go, they're useful in teaching copyright to students learning intellectual property the first time. Because like the one about whether the law should allow you to burn the Mona Lisa after you buy it and it's your property, uh, they go to the heart of, the, of understanding the basic ideas that we're trying to equip students with when we're training them as lawyers. And of course, we like dealing, teaching them the hard problems because they're the ones that we find worth dealing with as, as legal academics. Um, so it, it's not irrelevant these are important problems. For the, prob for the world to deal with. Um, but the, the special excitement of them for, uh, for a university in its, in, in its law faculty aspect involves their, their difficulty, the way in which, uh, to, to maybe to make a rather crass generalization, the problems of cultural heritage law involve uh, the, just the, some of the deepest questions of the nature of human community and the potential for a human community to regulate itself in a way that respects um, humanity and its needs and its dreams and its potential. So you know that's, that's what we love doing um, in, in the law faculty. So we ought to be good at this. Uh, we wouldn't be good at it if Emily Hudson um, weren't here. And I hope we're going to be good at it and useful in the future. Thanks. <laughs>